On this episode of AV Week, we look at software-based AV systems, AV over IP, and the $1 billion AV company. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 604, recorded Friday, March 17th, 2023. Flexible AV. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, a young man I've known for a lot of years, back when both of us had longer hair and wasn't so gray. His name is Steve Greenblatt. He is from Control Concepts. How are you, sir? I don't like to admit that I had longer hair. I like, <laughs> like to keep it short. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank, thanks it was less me. gray, too. I'm just going to say, put that out there. I work on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, also with us is a young man I haven't seen for a minute, Emil Vandekovering from Social Year. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to see you. Good to see you. And a young lady I got to meet uh, almost a year ago uh, at USC uh, last summer when uh, when Joe Way and the gang put on uh, their demonstration of all their new classrooms. Adeline Tatum, welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Good to see you. Good to see you. Adeline is is uh, at USC and is a PhD doc, uh, candidate. PhD candidate. Can we say that right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That means she's the smartest person on this call, gentlemen. So, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have a PhD, so but and I know Greenblatt experience. doesn't. You have experience. You I ha- wow. It, for me, that value. As my as my grandfather would say, that and fifty cents will get you a cup of coffee, but fifty cents won't get you a cup of coffee anymore. So, um, all right. First story comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. NDI, the network device interface has emerged as the market leader in video products. Uh, the technology has developed by NewTek has quote-unquote revolutionized video production workflows with low-latency video transmission over the network. The increasing adoption of NDI by major broadcasters, streaming platforms, and live event producers underscores its position as the preferred choice for IP-based video production. Mention this because a couple different things. First of all, NDI is certainly a transport. We have to mention the fact that New Tech developed it. However, they're not the only ones doing it, right? It's not just, oh, you can buy a, a New Tech NDI camera. Darn near almost every camera manufacturer in the world has an NDI product, or at least the ability to get in uh, their, their traditional video streams on an NDI platform. In addition, this article mentions uh, streaming platforms. I would also put video conferencing platforms in there as well, because you can insert NDI into Teams and you can insert NDI into into Zoom. So, Emil, we'll put this in the AV over IP category. Although slight asterisk, I would say it 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 might do more right than a traditional AV over IP. So, so what is the AV over IP technology? What is the system that we see the most, uh, and and how much appetite is there for for more? Um, more platforms. I think I think there's always going to be room for, for as many platforms as there are. I think what what happens is that people naturally will prefer a certain product or a certain platform, and that will just rise to the top. So I I don't think there should be any like limit as far as how many platforms, how many different technologies there should be. Um, I think 
eventually the, the better one will win out. And, and the only thing that I think is very important is that uh, flexibility, is that, that people using a, a certain product or hardware using a certain uh, platform is able to integrate with multiple different platforms. And that's why you mentioned you see it in Teams and you see it in Zoom. It's because they, they allow for a lot of different uh, ways of, of doing, uh, doing the thing. And that allows for users uh, and end clients to, or the installers, integrators, to set up a, their best way of, of getting to the end result. And I think that's super important. I, I think uh, that flexibility is now increasing. You see more and more tools giving more and more openness and transparency, transparency in how things work, uh, which eventually just end up in, in better products. So I think that's, that's what's important. Adeline, um, we're gonna bring you on on this. I mentioned the fact that I met you last year when, when you guys at USC put together, it was a tour, right? It was a mini trade show and a tour of your systems. Correct me if I'm wrong, USC has standardized, at least your, your group has standardized on NVX, right? Crest on NVX yes. for, for your AV over IP system, including a pretty significant um, deployment of an eSports um, installation where you're using NVX for, for eSports. When you guys were looking at that, and, and as you're, you're seeing how it's being used and how it's being deployed, are you seeing you know, anybody else coming in and say, oh, you know, it, you know, we can do this more than NVX, or is NVX kind of, your standard and, and you guys are, are, are rocking with that? So great question and yes, um, NVX is our standard. We have a contract, the university goes with vendors and you know we have to have certain contracts. So mm -hmm. NVX is our standard, that's what we will be running with for the next couple of years. And we have had companies that came into our annual, well it's an annual now, <laughs> it's an mm. annual LE um, day whereby people would come in and check out our environments. And we have had different institution companies in the AV industry and IT industry that have shared that they would like to learn more about it. They've been in touch with our architects, our engineers, and just having meetings and those conversations to find out if that's the way for them to go. We have seen stability over the past years that we've had it. We implemented these rooms in 210 classrooms. Um, so roughly right now we have almost 230 approximately rooms that we, between auditorium and classrooms that we manage. And it's stable. It's really stable. All right. Steve, I, I'm, I'm probably going to forget somebody, so I'm not going to name them because I'm going to tick somebody off. Um, I, I've, I've written down six different types of technologies, not companies, don't anybody at me types of technologies that are out there, right? Including NDI and a couple others out there. I'm, I'm gonna bring up 702110 uh, because it's, a, it's more of an open platform as well, right? As you're looking at the systems you guys are, are helping and, and you're writing code for, for manufacturers, right? I, is there a limit here to how many more, you know, uh, Emil says we should let everybody, you know, if, as long as the market will bear it. Well, how much will the market bear, do we think? The, uh, the, the answer to that, I, I guess, is depends on what the, the clients are going to be accepting, quite honestly. I think the, the thing that, that was a, has become a big theme is interoperability. And I think mm. uh, back to what Emil was saying is, is that we really need to look at if we start to introduce more technologies, um, 
what's going to get adopted and and where and and also how does that impact the landscape and and um, and and does it make the industry better or does it create more complexity and confusion and and is it going to make things more fragmented so I, I think it we one of the takeaways probably from the supply chain crisis is to be able to have substitutable products. So what I would say is that there needs to be an emphasis on trying to consolidate probably some of the technologies and work toward trying to have more products work together rather than trying to have more disparate technologies unless they are serving a specific need or they really are made for a particular application or they, they really, they, you know, perhaps government, perhaps in medical, perhaps in very long distances, there, there's a particular need for a technology, but I think consolidating is probably going to be more favorable to the clients. And, and I think that that's who we all are trying to serve. That's a great point, see, because when I was reading the first story, I was like, the teacher brain in me started working. <laughs> I was like, what is the reason why video over IP took so long to adopt an audio? Like for me, that's a question that popped into my mind. I'm like, I'm gonna bring this to the team here today because I want to learn more. Like, why do you? Why do we feel or why do we think that it took so long? I think it's it. Uh, Steve already kind of answered that question by the fact that being more flexible with the other integrations is what's so important, and that's what we see happening now, and that's why you see more adoption. Uh, that's it. <laughs> do we think it, but, okay, that is great. And um, do we think that maybe some companies had a little bit of fear that um, we don't want to integrate because they might want to take a larger portion of our invention? Or, 100%. you know, yeah, I appreciate the flexibility and, and the integration because I think that's how we're going to make the industry better. But No, I, de I definitely think there, there's, there's, there's always the fear. Um, and, and I run it like I'm, I'm coming from the content side and the creative side. So my ideas are a little bit more out of whack than, than regular, uh, integrations. But I, I think that fear is not really well founded sometimes, because if you have a good product and you have a good service, then, then people will want to use that. And that's what your unique selling point should be. Not if you're like blocking an, a certain integration of not working with your product. I think. It's the opposite. The more integrations you have, the, the more flexibility you have, the more people you also introduce to your, to your service. Like if I know that there's a certain product that allows for a certain technology that I already use, and I'm like, oh, well, that, that's easy. Now I can onboard and start using it. And maybe I switch completely. Uh, like, but the, the big thing is, is I think, and, and that's what I mentioned earlier, I think the market will decide what uh, the better uh, the better products are, and I think being flexible uh, with with your integrations, I think is super important. I, th I think I, I think that should never be underestimated how important that is. Yeah. And just if I could add one more point, yeah, sure. or ask ML, because you touched on something really dear to my heart: instructional design. Um, how do you, as a instructional designer or from the content side, see designing classroom curriculum 
over this new technology, with this new technology, improving the deliverance or the way professors deliver instruction? It's, it's a, hard, a hard question to untangle, um, but uh, I, I, like, I think it's the same, the same process of flexibility and also, like, the, the, one of the issues with flexibility and a lot of integrations is that, that there are a lot of integration to learn about and there's a lot of uh, information. And, and there's going to be more and more information. You're going to have an information overload. You cannot explain everything. But that's why I think it is better to teach, uh, like, the, the logical steps and, and, and how to approach an issue uh, and then get to the desired result by using the different integrations and then picking up and learning about those integrations along the way. I think that's the best approach because I don't think it's necessary if there's like a product that has 100 integrations to learn about all 100 integrations and then go start using the product. No, you start using it and then you, the, and, and that's another big thing for, for software and stuff like that as well. The, the, the software kind of has to guide you through that, it has to guide you through that process, educate you along the way so that you also remember it for next time. And again, you just get better and better at using the, the tool. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, next story comes to us <clears throat> from SCN. Midwich has surpassed the one billion pound revenue. That's one billion with a B. Uh, for those of you who are not in the UK, um, I shouldn't say that. For those of you in the US, how about that? That's $1.2 billion. Uh, the achievement comes as a result of the company's quote-unquote strategic acquisitions, strong organic growth, and focus on customer success. The company's success is also highlighted by its resilient uh, performance during COVID-19 as it adapted and capitalized on increased demand for remote work. Adeline, we're going to start with you. You are not a direct customer of 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 midwich really quickly in the in the states midwich owns uh, owns uh Starin marketing so but you are a customer of their customers what is the what is the biggest danger what is the biggest threat here in these one billion dollar av companies whether that is an integrator or a distributor or quite frankly even a manufacturer so i think one of the biggest risks would be if the supply chain issue that we've been having. If say three of my classroom goes wrong, down in an auditorium and I'm not able to get my Creston UC engine that I need, professors will be in an uproar. And that for me is like a huge risk <clears throat> because we sometimes have just a simple, they didn't touch the touch panel to make the screen come down for them to teach and that goes up to the provost's office. Even though I do my best, our team do our best, and I think we're great at it by having our numerous amount of student worker, not to boast, you know, but USC has that privilege, I must say, to be able to hire 85 student workers for us. Um, and I have trained them, our team have trained them, we work diligently to make sure that everyone knows what to do when you walk in that space. If personally I can't be in the space to train faculty, we have leads, senior leads that go out and do this stuff. But simple things, simple things as they didn't turn their um, 
mute button on their computer and they get a little feedback. So for me, it's a risk if we don't have the equipment in that space to have it operating and instruction ready to go. All right. Steve, what are the, the benefits of these multi-billion dollar multinational co companies? You gave me the tough one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've heard many times Brock McGinnis on this show talk about how it, it limits options by having mm -hmm. one big player and it, it, different than a few smaller players. And, and he, you know, he, he has less places that he can go to buy things, less credit availability. So I was just going to steal his point, but yeah. the, um, the, 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 the benefits are that there, there could, could be a single relationship there. There's more of uh, opportunity to buy from with a single order. Um, you, you know, you know, what one purchase order can get uh, a lot more product versus having to go to different vendors and build se separate relationships. Um, possibly pricing um, power could be available there. Um, it the the dangers that that I see also though is is making sure and, and it goes for everything in the industry is that. The bigger isn't always better, and the the consistency needs to be there because it it's very hard to scale companies quite large, uh, and and I I mean I I know even from scaling a small company it's hard to be able to maintain quality and and grow and and be able to keep processes consistent and and the experience consistent and give personalized service to to clients. What are you talking about? We've got like three or four integrators that are over a billion dollars. It's easy. Everybody can do it, right? Um, Emil, say, you, know, you, you can have either one. You can tell me what the dangers are, or you can tell me what the benefits are of having some of these billion-dollar multinationals. For me, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily about uh, having, having them like, have a greater share of the market. I think it's about losing agility and, and the ability to be flexible, uh, to, the ability to innovate. Uh, I think... When companies uh, like that get get bigger, the this decision maker the decision maker gets slower, and it's it's overall harder to 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 do these things like I mentioned, where you're more flexible, coming up with a new integration or a new idea. You're you're going to hit more walls uh, along the way um, when uh, when that happens. On the other side, um, it bigger. Bigger allows for more funding for uh, that th those innovations. Allows for funding for more growth. It allows for better bargaining uh, with the suppliers. Uh, so there's 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 pros and cons. But I I think it all depends just how uh, the business operates uh, and 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 taking those things in consideration. You you can definitely get bigger and still be flexible as well. But it's it is just these these pitfalls and things that become more important the bigger you get. Yeah, one thing I do want to mention here is Midwich, and this is this is Tim's personal opinion. I have no dog in this hunt. Midwich or or Starin is not a customer of a client of of Aviations. Um, they are a supplier for CTI, which is my day job. They've they've at least um, they've maintained some of that flexibility that Meal's talking about by purchasing and acquiring companies in country, right? So they've got an Australian division that they purchased, right? They, they acquired that, that company, and they pretty much keep them together, right? Staring here in the States. 
um, you know, 100%, you know, that, not that they don't report to, to the UK, but, but that group has, has pretty much stayed together. So that, that's my opinion and, and from my perspective, one of the ways that they've been able to, to maintain some of that flexibility is it's not an overarching edict from on high from London, right? It's, you know, you guys are in your country, you know what to do in your country, here's some, some, some resources and some ways to make you more successful. Um, final uh, story comes to us actually from AV Nation. Uh, it's a blog that we wrote after uh, Steve's last state of control, uh, which he recorded from ISC. So that was, was kind of cool. Uh, from the Influencers Lounge. You're an influencer, Steve. Yeah. Who, who would have known? Uh, I think I knew. Um, we, uh, it was about um, the significance, uh, the growing significance of the software side of AV control. This transformation, quite frankly, has been driven by uh, the increased demand for flexibility, <laughs> back to what, what Adeline and, and you guys were saying, uh, and, and quite frankly, the cost-effective alternatives to traditional hardware-based control systems. Uh, Software-based AV control platforms, they offer seamless integration, customizable user interfaces, and remote monitoring capabilities. Steve, I am going to start with you on this, simply because it, it was based off of you guys' conversation. How quickly are we moving to an only software-based Control. Let's pick on that software-only control system in this in the in the AV space. Software-only control. We're there. I'm, there. There's a lot of virtualized. But that's control. it. No, no, uh, no hardware at all. But where it's all software. Like nobody's nobody's selling a hardware. Okay. So so software-only AV systems. Yes. So I think aside from endpoints, we're, we're gradually moving in that direction. I think that yeah. it's, it's very possible because if you think about the technology that exists in each of these boxes, um, who's to say that they couldn't exist on just normal IT hardware? And, and I think that more and more we're looking at what, what does that transition mean the the thing and and we continue to have this conversation and if you stay tuned to state of control you'll hear our latest episode which will be coming out uh it it there there's a lot to think about there's a lot of implications there because we when you're working in a uh, a, a walled garden if you will and we use that term a lot you have a lot more control and a lot less variables. Even going back to one of our, you know, the earlier conversation is that more options causes more complexity and causes more opportunity for things to not go smoothly. But, it, but then the other side of it, it gives you more uh, adaptability and 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 uh, it gives you more options and and your you, we we can overcome some of the hurdles that may have prevented us from b doing more and being being able to provide solutions so for example where we can incorporate more modern programming languages but on the flip side we also have to now start looking at more security implications so this uh, there, there's going to be a give and take um, I, I think that it, it, it is very much headed toward the direction of more products being under one roof in in uh, in the software side so and and not not to necessarily use brands but there are um, products out there that are combining dsp and control together there are products that uh, are, are doing more on the software side uh, you know uh, dante is a very much a, a software platform so so more True. we're seeing that that software is becoming 
maybe the the lubrication, let's say, to 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 bring uh, the, all the hardware together. All right, Emil, same you know, same sort of question here beyond. Because Steve kind of got into this, right? And we already talked about, you know, the, the AV transport over over the network. Um, Steve got into DSP there for a second. Where else do we, are we going to see, I guess, basically a software-based system in AV where all we have is on-ramps, on-ramps and off-ramps, and everything else goes in the network? Like, how, how close are we to that system? I don't necessarily agree that we're going towards a software-only setup, because I think there's always going to be room for uh, specific hardware, uh, especially when it comes to, like, small form factor hardware. And it's mm. just, it's sometimes it's hard to have, like, this, this, this bigger device that you have, and it can do a lot of different things, but you actually just need uh, the one functionality. It's also it has to do with cost and things like that, right? Um, however, I do think that it's getting way more software-centric which meaning okay. that all these different hardware devices are going to last longer. They're going to uh, be able to do more things in that smaller form factor and uh, being able to integrate with each other, being able to like use them more as like building blocks uh, to, to create your system and then let the software do the, do the heavy lifting. I think that's what, what's already happening, uh, but I think that's happening more and more in a faster pace. I'm I'm very excited about it because I'm definitely someone that's very much more on the on the software front of things, and um, I'm excited again and again. And I can think that's kind of the overarching theme of this conversation is that it it things are becoming more flexible, so that it becomes for me it becomes easier to connect uh, A to B and and create a completely different result, uh, maybe even out of the box, things where the where the device was not meant to do a certain thing. And I'm like, hey, uh, I think we can, if we connect this to that, then we could do this. And in a lot of cases, it was like, well, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe that's not uh, like the, the safest way to do things. But because things are becoming more flexible, there's more integrations, uh, it becomes more more stable to do things like that. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I think we're going to see that. Uh, Keep happening, and and you you gave a great example in the beginning where uh, you have like a like a, a phone as an example, but like you have a device that might be older, but because of a software update, because of a firmware update, has completely new functions. Maybe has that NDI integration or the other software integration, and to me that I, I love it. I, I really really enjoy uh, seeing that happen. <laughs> Adeline, we'll wrap up here with you. As somebody who, who lives and breathes on a, on a campus, right, um, one of the things that at least 100 years ago when I was a technology manager, I, we, we had several heated discussions with our IT network about putting systems on, on the network. When you, when you guys are, are talking with, with the, the IT staff at, at USC, is it something where they're freaked out, holy cow, you're going to mess up our network, or this is easy because we can do pen testing and all that jazz, or do they not even mess with it and you get your own network and this is this you stay over here and, and stay off of our network? Great question. So yes, you were right the first time. So as a part of the ITS org, we learning environments department come under that org. So our network team do freak out. Every time we want something on the network, they freak out. They actually 
don't want us to touch their network, so they give us field officers, field technician to come in and do whatever we need to get done in collaboration with our engineers and our architects, of course. They have those deep conversation. But yeah, we always end up hearing those great stories. I call them great stories in our meetings that we need this done, but they're not moving quick enough. So we do get that, um, that pushback. However, um, to touch a little bit on what Emil and Steve have been saying, flexibility and adaptability all boils down, in my opinion, to learning and development. Meaning, we need to train our customers. We need to educate them. We need to have orientations. We need to have trainings. We need to have digital resources, right? Everything is the virtual world now, so it should be easy to just facilitate an open house. Do something. Don't wait until a year later to want to do something. Why can't we do it quarterly or however, like a month or so before a new release? Why can't we have little session like these, like just to educate people? I feel like if we educate our customers, um, our society at large, we would get a lot less pushback and more adaptability going on. And it's going to be a good place to stop this entire uh, conversation about flexibility and adaptability. I like that. Uh, thank you all so much. Ms. Jean Greenblatt from Control Concepts. How do people connect with you or Control Concepts? Uh, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on social media. You could reach my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Of course, I have to mention you can reach uh, me here with my partner, Rich Fregosa, who always is very kind in, in uh, promoting our show. And we uh, want to make sure that you come tune in to us here at aviation.tv uh, and, and uh, check out a state of control about the control programming and automation aspects of the industry. Steve's been doing this for a minute. He's over 100 episodes. So absolutely go, uh, go check him out. Uh, Mr. Emil, thank you, sir. Uh, how, how do people connect with you or Social Year? Uh, you can go to socialer.com. You can even go to socialer.com slash creative call and, and, and schedule your call with me uh, and, and talk more. Um, you can also go on Twitter, uh, Twitter slash Escapation, but you'll probably be surprised by all the uh, images of NFTs and, and monkeys and stuff like that uh, because that's the, the, the stuff that I've been into. Um, so uh, the better way is uh, LinkedIn. Uh, it is uh, LinkedIn uh, Directive Creator. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, and you will be able to find me. Or you just find my name on Google. Uh, like I think we discussed that earlier. If you type my name, there's not a lot of results. So. There's not a lot of Emil uh, Vanda coverings, yeah. and I'll make sure that Mitchell spells it correctly. Uh, <laughs> um, Adeline, thank you, ma'am. Uh, you did fantastic. This was Adeline's first, first episode of AV Week, so thank you. Uh, how do people connect with you or USC? Thank you for having me. This was a great discussion. Thank you, gentlemen, for bringing this podcast alive. Um, you could connect with me at tatuma at usc.edu or on LinkedIn. My name, Adeline Tatum, with an A, A-D-A, L-I-N-E. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters because at this point, um, I am really excited by what the Bears are doing, and that's all I'm going to say about that. I am cautiously optimistic, cautiously September cannot get here quick enough. So, uh, but go by the website if you would, please. Avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including Steve's uh, State of Control uh, that will be coming down the pipeline. Uh, we have re, uh, reworked the Women in AV podcast and two fantastic 
young ladies in the industry are, are taking care of that. Um, Erica Carroll and Jennifer Goodyear. Uh, so check that out as well, Ed, EdTech and all the others, so check that out and more. Also, we are heading to Infocom, so if you are, you uh, you can uh, register uh, with, with us as well. You go to uh, infocomshow.org. Uh, the show itself is the 10th through the 16th. The uh, show floor is obviously the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, the 10th is when they start education, but you can check that all out. And in probably about two weeks, we will have some information on both our tweet up and a couple other parties that we'll be hosting. So all that and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.